This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to your latest podcast on the Blood Red channel. I'm sure no one needs reminding, but Liverpool will definitely win the Premier League by beating Everton at Goodison Park on Sunday and then Crystal Palace at Anfield on Wednesday. That would end the club's 30-year wait for the league title and it would be celebrated by millions of Liverpool fans across the world. Sadly, Anfield itself won't be able to host 50,000 or so supporters, given the match like every match in England for the time being has to be played behind closed doors. But fortunately, some traditions are still in place and that includes the official matchday programme which if the title is wrapped up at Anfield on Wednesday night against Palace is sure to be a collector's item so I'm delighted to be joined on the line for this podcast by one of the people who've been busy putting it together and that's Chris McLaughlin Chris is a senior writer with Reach Sport who publish programmes and books and work with some of the biggest clubs and players in Britain and no doubt you've also read his work over the years on This Is Anfield website and in particular the Cop magazine which we will get onto later in this podcast but I'll shut up now mate and introduce Chris. Thanks very much for, for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Paul. Yeah, looking forward to the Reds being back in action, to be honest. It's, um, it's felt like a long time since that Atletico Madrid game, and obviously with so much still to play for in terms of the Premier League title, it's just waiting for that title to come, the season to restart and get on with it, really. It really is. Have you enjoyed the, the first few games so far? I have, yeah. I've been, um, I watched a lot of the German games and that sort of restarted just to get that little fix of footy. Um, I was hoping Borussia Dortmund might challenge a little bit better than they did for the, the Bundesliga title and watched City the other night hoping for an Arsenal win. David Luiz struck City's <laughs> best player on the night. Uh, so it means we can't obviously win the league at Goodison. But, you know, we're still on course with it and um just looking forward to seeing the Reds back on the pitch. Yeah, you're a writer and a, a fan as, as well, uh, one and the same, I suppose, in, in the respect. But were you worried in those kind of, that period, what we were talking about before we press record on this conversation, when there was, there was talk about like null and void and, and things like that? Did you think that it may even come to that at one stage? I, I honestly felt it was unlikely, but you start to question that as well, the way things went in France and, and went in Holland, and then ultimately the way it's gone in Scotland. Um, it was a funny situation, really, because all Liverpool fans were open the league would restart, whereas all Everton fans were open it wouldn't restart. <laughs> so there was a lot of banter alongside that as well with a few friends. And, you know, like Klopp said in his press conference before um, the derby, he felt a bit tense. You know, sort of hearing the news from France and Holland and the, and the way that was going. But I think in the back of my mind, I always felt like it was in the interest of the Premier League and in the interest of the country in general because of the money um, the Premier League brings in. Just, not, not just through tax reasons from the paid wages, but also through TV revenue around the world that they'd be trying to find a way to get it going again. But the unknown factor was how badly the virus would continue spreading and, and what impact that would have. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. I'm just so happy it's back and it's, it just feels like for Liverpool and Everton, the wait's been a bit a little longer, but by the time this podcast uh, comes out, you know, I think we'll have about 24 hours to go until until the match. So we've been speaking as fans there, but we'll talk about your, your job as a senior journalist for Reach Sports. Uh, being yeah. at work over these last couple of weeks, imagine you've been very busy putting together this programme for the Palace game on Wednesday. Yeah, we have. Um, we had the official magazine to do first, the monthly magazine, which people may have seen um, return to the shelves in your supermarkets and, and news agents, and then straight into the um, into the Crystal Palace programme. You know, weird working at home, putting a programme together. Um, there's a team of five of us who, who work on the programme, so 
we've all had to sort of set up a WhatsApp group and communicate that way to, to sort stuff out um, and then do all our own bits at home, um, which is the, the first time we've ever, you know, put a programme together in this way. We The, the first Liverpool programme we did at Reach Sport back in the day when we were with Sport Media was 2002. So in 18 years, we've not had to kind of face a situation like this. So it's been a, a bit different, a little bit of a, a learning curve doing things differently, but it's it's come together well and we've sold already over 2,000 copies, wow. which putting a programme together for people to buy who aren't going to a game, you don't know how it's going to do. You, you don't know if there'll be interest. You don't know if people think, well, why well, would I want to buy a programme from a match I'm, I can't attend? But the way the season's gone, um, people who've already got the, the full collection from the previous 15 games and the fact that this could be a collector's edition. If Liverpool do win the league against Palace on Wednesday night, means there has been a lot of interest and we're hoping there'll be a lot more. Certainly, you can go and buy the programme online now if you go to reachsportshop.com. The full description will be on uh, the description for this podcast. But for people who haven't bought it yet, what can fans expect to see in this one? Well, Virgil van Dijk's on the cover and he's also inside as our, our main interview. Um, it's a bit of stuff of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain as well. And obviously, the two big reasons generally that people look for in the programme is Jordan Klopp's notes which are always different to what he says in the press conferences so if people have still out the habit of buying programs or never bought one before then don't necessarily think what you've heard in, the, in his pre-match presser will be what you see in the program he kind of directs his messages more at Liverpool supporters specifically rather than answering what the press want to ask him and he, he, he has carte blanche to say what he wants really and he, and he does and the same with Jordan Henderson with his notes Hendo writes his own notes himself and um, supplies them to us um, and again very different to what you might expect from a, a captain's column he, he will look at all kinds of different issues not just on the pitch but off it as well um, both really good reads I would say um, and I would say that you know obviously working for the programme but I say that as a fan as well um, it's not just some bland standard thing you might see necessarily from other managers and, and captains we you know we're lucky enough to have a charismatic manager and a really thoughtful, caring captain as well, I would say. Somebody who's got a, a good view on the world. She's a sort of social picture and ongoing events in a different way than maybe people would be used to from a footballer. Um, and I, I just think they're both worth reading. Yeah, even every, I'm sure there's people listening to this podcast who've read the programme notes by both before. before. It, it is a job they take seriously, isn't it? Like I've worked at other football clubs or journalists at other football clubs and you're completely right Chris like I've read programme notes from managers and captains and I've been in that press conferences a couple of days before and they've literally the, the press office have literally just taken that and put them into notes this is not the case with Jordan mm-hmm. and Jürgen they, they understand that what you touched on there they've got to put a message across haven't they to Liverpool fans they do yeah I mean you know, Klopp uses his programme notes to, like I say, to speak directly to the supporters. The Barcelona game last season was a was a good example where some some of his quotes from that particular programme column are some of the more famous quotes that you'll see sort of put on Twitter or on different social media forms, you know, about the power of Anfield and things like that. And again, Hendo, we we, we never ask Jordan Henderson what to write. We never ask the manager what to write. We leave it to them. So, whereas in a press conference, everybody knows it's directed by the line or the story that the press wants that will sell papers or get hits on websites or whatever. This is not to sell programmes. This is purely up to them 
what they say, and they do they both do it really well. Do you actually have to speak to Jordan uh, for his program notes, or is it that you've got the relationship where they'll just send them through now? We just text each other basically. Yeah, he just um, as long as he knows when the deadline is, he he gets them over. Um, I have spoken to him. Um, during lockdown, I did an interview with him for um, the official magazine, which yes. is out now. And he, he's, in, he's in good spirits. Um, really good interview. He can't wait to get back on the pitch. Um, I think probably the highlight of the interview was when I, I asked him about the sort of social media suggestion that when Liverpool do win the league, and it is when, not if, um, that because we can't have a parade like you would normally um, could he go up in a hot air balloon and take the, the trophy with him and sort of <laughs> show it off over the city so we can all see it but um, he's scared of heights yeah, <laughs> he, 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 he doesn't like heights so the, the chances of seeing Jordan Anderson in a, in a hot air balloon with a Premier League trophy I think are pretty much zero <laughs> you're one of the lucky ones obviously who can kind of evoke a line like that out of him and have that kind of relationship with him so you've you've seen him obviously grow over the years into a player and, and a person that you touched upon a moment ago in terms of his leadership his social conscience how how made up does it make you to see him to, to see what he's becoming what he's probably close on 10 years with Liverpool now yeah I, I couldn't be happier um, he, he's always been a top class person individual to deal with he, he's a really nice guy um, he's, he's he's grown as a player in terms of his performances on the pitch as well which I think well it's obvious isn't it but everybody's seen that from the player who first came and was playing as a, as a wide midfielder under Kenny Dalglish just so Kenny could fit into his team to the heartbeat of the Liverpool midfield he's he's improved a lot I would say but then he always had ability I just don't think it was always necessarily utilised in the in the right way it's probably Brendan Rodgers who Got the best out of him at first in the 2013-14 season when he sort of played him more of a, a midfield runner, I guess. And he, you know, I suppose people give him a bit of stick for that to suggest that he just runs around a lot. Which you know, Darren Farley still does the the impressions using that line. But I think when you look at the way he's matured over the last couple of seasons and the impact he has on the team and just some of his assists that sometimes go a little bit unnoticed um, I was watching a, a video back of I think it was Liverpool's might have been the 4-0 win against Southampton um, during lockdown there's a pass he puts through from Mo Salah from, from the right which was a bit like watching Stevie G again and mm-hmm. Mo nips through and just sort of dinks it over the, you know sits the goalkeeper down and dinks it over him and I sometimes think with, with Hendo he doesn't necessarily get the credit he deserves for, for those assists and for that type of impact and if you actually sort of went through the season and crucial moments, just little things like Wolves away where he pops up with a rear header and then I'm pretty sure it was him who gave the ball to Firmino for the late winner. Liverpool wouldn't be in the position they are this season without his impact. He, you know, he's, he's had a wonderful season. Um, I thought he was pretty good last season and all. And obviously, you generally have to be to captain the team that wins the, the Champions League. And I, I see him as an integral part of the team now and, and will be for another couple of years at least. Certainly, we all look forward to seeing those notes come Wednesday night. Just you talked about how, how not difficult or challenging this 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 program has been, given the fact that the team of five that you work with have had to do it from home. But generally, how do you go about producing a program for Liverpool FC? At the start at the start of each season, we come up with a design template. So we kind of decide what kind of balance we want in terms of interviews, features, and then the stuff that you have to really carry in the program. So obviously. If you open a programme, you expect to be a feature on the opposition. 
Um, every club wants to include stuff on the women's team, their academies team, their foundations, um, basic stuff like how to get a ticket, travel information, your stats at the back, and obviously the back page of the team lineup. So there's, there's certain things that are standardised you, you've got to have in a programme because people expect and if, if it wasn't, they'd wonder why. The rest of it is kind of up to our creative side to give it a, a you know a design that people appreciate and also content that people people want to read. And then once we've got that template for the season, it's then a case of filling it game by game really and sort of tailoring it to the opposition to what games is whether it's you know a Champions League programme is different to a League Cup programme, for instance, and then we sort of decide between us what, what content we want, um, which players we'd like to interview. It doesn't necessarily mean we get the players we want mm-hmm. to interview. There's there's different reasons why players might say no or the club might say no or you might get offered an alternative or or there's a player that the club want you to, to speak to for whatever reason at the time. So there's a lot of thought goes into who we want for what reason. And, and also with the front covers, for instance, the front covers this season, we, we've had a theme where it's been individual players on the front with the, the song or song most associated with them, that cop thing um, used in text behind them. And the certain players we've saved, so for instance, Virgil, it's, it's not pure fluke or that Virgil van Dijk's on the on the, the cover for this next programme because we've kind of seen how the season went. We've been saving him for, for later in the season, but hopefully a, a significant game that you know, if it is the day Liverpool in the league, that the, that program cover and that program will be forever associated with it. And when people look back in time and people recall the glorious 2019-20 season, and you see various images, that program cover could be part of such things. And it will be Virgil on the front, um, who obviously is one of the key players. Certainly, as you still get the the buzz of seeing your work in print. I know you obviously started with a cop magazine. You've worked for the Echo and, the, and then worked for, on different projects with with Reach Sport. Is it still a buzz when that program drops on your desk? You know, in the in the days leading up to a home game. It, it was um, it was more of a buzz given the lockdown. Actually, when I yeah. saw the first um, <laughs> the first LFC, first LFC magazine with that with the Hendo interview, because I think the nature of the season is there's so many games and you, you've got so much to produce. Um, Sometimes you lose a little bit of buzz just purely for, for work reasons that like you've got to get straight onto the next thing. Yeah. Um, worst thing for us is when we get sort of four home games in the space of two weeks. You know, sometimes you can end up with two league games, a League Cup game and a Champions League game. And we've got four programmes to do, which means really we need eight different players to interview. We need four major big read features. We need four sets of managers, notes, four captains' notes. And, the, you know, people are busy. They've got four games on. They're trying to fit training in. They might be having to travel abroad or just come back from international duty. So you kind of can get caught up a little bit in the sort of mechanics of, of putting a programme together and, well, I guess for, sort of forget that sort of feeling of seeing your name in print or knowing that you've in, interviewed a Liverpool player as a fan. I think, I guess it's just being professional about it. But then, yeah, if you know, you sort of stop and reflect at times and, and think about what you're doing and people you've spoke to and things, things that they've said to you and... You know, the, like the, the most recent interview did with Jordan Henderson was picked up by the Nationals. You know, you weird thing going down to the shop and picking up a copy of the Daily Mirror and there's your sort of interview as the, as the back page lead. I mean, it, it's how it works in sport and it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing, and, you know, but it, it is still a buzz in, in that sense, yeah. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
you've been doing it for for a long time now, and you've you've spoken to obviously captains, players, past and and present. Who, who have you enjoyed speaking to most recent uh, regularly over the years? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, of, of the current squad, um, Alex Oxley Chamberlain's my, my favourite player to interview because he, he's he's genuinely a, a good character. He gives good interviews. He gives good insight, uh, and you can have a bit of a laugh with him when you're chatting to him. Um, over the years, it's different because we've had we've had so many different eras. Um, like, for instance, Abby Alonso was always good to speak to. Um, so I've spoken to him since he's left Liverpool for um, one of the Legends programs that we did for one of the, the Legends games, and he he gives thoughtful answers and, and gives good stuff. Um, Jamie Carragher, obviously, you would always get a, a good interview with Carragher. Um, he, he'd think about stuff to give you as well because he, he kind of understood the. Well, you know, quite early understood the need to give different interviews for different publications depending on what you are because obviously for an official club publication you can't necessarily say what you might say in the echo mm-hmm. um, the, you know the, the club don't want controversial stuff in their publications whereas the echo probably do and they certainly did when I was working on it because you, you get more people buying yeah. buying it so players like that who interact with you have got, got something to say and, and got um a bit of thoughts about it are always good to speak to. But what in, in terms of like overall, the, the person I actually enjoyed speaking to the most was somebody who I saw playing as a fan but never um, sort of worked with as, as a player. But Alan Hampson, um, I I go through his, um, his column in the old LFC Weekly magazine oh, wow. for, yeah. for a decade. So I did 10 years, every Monday morning for 10 years, I, I phoned Alan Hampson, wherever he was, whether he was at home or on holiday, and he always picked up the phone. He always knew what he wanted to say. Um, he, he had his column planned out in his head. So if I rung him up and said, "I'll, you know, Liverpool could win at the weekend. Mellon Barros gets the winner. What, what did you think of his performance?" He would reply by telling me how good Steven Gerrard is. So in, in, his, in, his, in his mind, he knew what he wanted to say. He, he, he had a he had a view. He wanted to get it across, and he, he didn't just treat the column as well. I'll just answer a few questions and it'll go in. He. he you know, he, he used it for his, his sort of his own views and views that he wanted to express and to put in a, a Liverpool publication. And, and working with someone like that was superb. He, he was brilliant professional. He was a brilliant player, obviously, but a brilliant professional with us and um, great to speak to. Yeah, it's probably some of our younger listeners may not realise just how good a pundit Alan Hansen was and how good a player he was as well. You know, we've, we've touched on Virgil van Dijk, you know. It's probably goes to say, show how good van Dijk is that he's already been mentioned in the same kind of breath as someone like Hansen because he was just, he was fantastic. I know him, for my age, I was probably a bit young to see him in his proper heyday, but, you know, wow, what mm-hmm. a player. Yeah, no, he was superb. He was a Rolls Royce. He was a um, proper ball-playing centre-half. Um he, he he was never, you know. I, I mean, I started going watching Liverpool in 1987, so I saw the sort of back end of his career the last three years, really. Um, although he missed most of 88, 89 with injury. Um, but he, he was probably one of the most composed, or maybe the most composed player I've ever seen. Um, he wasn't in the same sort of mould as Virgil in terms of being able to make a, a thumping tackle or a thumping head, but his, his anticipation anticipation was was outstanding and, and the way he brought the ball forward he, he could he could go through like a, a midfielder and you'd you'd occasionally see a centre back you know in, in more recent times like Daniel Agger bringing the ball forward and making a run through and even Joel Matip now to a certain extent but that Alan Hansen could do that at will it was it was a big part of the way 
Liverpool play to the point where he even he even used him to sweep her on in some games that I remember. Um, but yeah, an, an outstanding player and a brilliant pundit. Really was, yeah. He's the last man to captain the Brussels League site. Well, as we've fairly made clear, that Jordan Henderson will be following his footsteps very, very soon, maybe in the next four or five days. Uh, so after the 90s, after the 1990 title win, I should say, there were trophies in the 90s, but not as many as certainly were, there were in the, the 70s and 80s. And it was around that time, from writing, thinking that you, you started the Cop magazine. You must look back on that with a lot of pride because certain people, again, probably our age will remember that or Blues will remember the Evertonian. It was a big thing, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, it'll, it'll probably be the thing I'm forever most associated with, really, because I wrote it for for 15 years. Um, the cop started in 95 and it, it was the um, it was May 2000 when I took over. Chris Baskin, who works for the Daily Telegraph now, who people will remember, was on the Echo. He he started off writing the cop magazine. Um, there was a guy called Rick George, who was the, who was the Liverpool correspondent on the Echo back, back in the day when you literally just had two people yeah. um, covering, covering Liverpool. Um, and when, when Rick moved on in the, in the summer of 2000, he, he went to Right, a, a website called Icons that some people might remember where it was the first time players had had their own websites to sort of get their own views across. Um, Chris got promoted to take on the, the full-time Liverpool Echo correspondent job and I got the job of doing the COP. Um, so I, I was based on the Echo for two years at the time um, as Chris's backup for, for reporting on Liverpool for the Echo but also in charge of editing and writing the COP. Um, and then in 2002... Um, Sport Media, which is now called Beach Sport, started when our old sports editor Ken Rogers decided that, well, you know, other people are doing programs. Why can't why can't the Echo do programs? Why can't Trinity New do programs? So we won the contract to do Liverpool's programs in, in two thousand and two, and we we formed our own department away from the Echo. So we we kind of cut ties in the sense of working on the same floor, the same desk, anything like that. Because obviously you, you need a local newspaper and an official programme to be separate Separate, people working on it. Um, To be a conflict of interest, obviously, if if you didn't. Um, And the Cop magazine moved into into what was Sport Media at the time. So I stopped working on the Echo and stuck with the Cop and then began working on the Liverpool official match day programmes and the LFC magazine, which at the time was a a weekly magazine, which ran for for a decade. Um, As I said earlier, but yeah, the the Cop... um, I mean, I, st- I still miss writing the cop now. It's, it's five years this month since we sent the last edition to print. Um, the anniversary just gone. So it's probably quite telling him on this yeah. podcast, actually, when you, you think of it like that. But the, 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 the nature of the cop was, and one of the reasons why it did have a cult following, is that we said what we thought and generally got away with it because we did it in a considered, constructive manner. It wasn't just hurling abuse at somebody who was playing badly. We say somebody was playing badly, but we do it in a in a way that was fur on that player. It was it was opinionated and humorous and it, it was it was gen it was it was passionate as well, I guess. It sort of reflected my opinion, reflected the opinion of, you know, the lads I, I worked with at the time. Um but also reflected the opinion of a lot of the readers. Um and, and written in a way where we didn't stick to a party line. We weren't told what to say. We weren't told what to do if, if we felt the manager or a player or a club owner or the chairman or whoever it may be needed telling what they're doing wrong or needed criticising, we would we would say so. But like I say, do it in a, in a fair, constructive manner. 
you're proud of its legacy. I know we maybe not see the similar ilk in print anymore, but if you look around, Liverpool fan media is thriving, whether it be the Anfield Rap, Redman TV, or this is Anfield, who you write for, you think like you've you left a bit of a legacy there because, as you say, you've a lot's following it, followed in its wake. Uh, yeah, maybe to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of the lads that you've worked on, you know, or work for uh, on some of the different websites and podcasts like the Anfield Rap and Redman TV and stuff and all, all of those lads at some point read the cop for a period or saw the cop or knew the cop and maybe sort of subconsciously the sort of style of it kind of brought on to the, the next sort of stage of fan culture as I guess technology came in as well and when I the first season when I started doing the cop which one of the seasons to do was the treble season in 2001. At the, at the start of that season, Liverpool didn't have an official website. Right. And it, it, seems, <laughs> it seems bonkers now when you, when, yeah. when you think about it. Um, but not only did Liverpool not have an official website, we only had in the Echo office two computers that had the internet on them. So if we, we wanted to go and um, we wanted to go and like look at something online, and I'll, I'll never never forget the day when. Liverpool were drawn in the um, the way for a couple of the team from Romania. I can't even think of the name of them at the moment. But we we had about half an hour after the draw to get the next edition of the Echo done, and I literally had to queue to get on one of these two computers uh, to try and find out something about them. <laughs> Whereas now <laughs> you just take for granted that you you know you use your phone or you use your computer or you use you know you've got Wi-Fi and all the rest of it. I mean, this is like. 20 years ago and we had two internet computers in the Echo office and Liverpool FC didn't have a website and it, it kind of shows how much things have changed um, and the nature of, of the coffee it was always going to be a, a print publication it, it was always somewhere between fanzine and official and that it, it, it didn't really lend itself to being online um, we did for a while have a cop website which didn't do that well um, we did have an online edition which did okay but didn't make enough money to make it sustainable and I think the nature of it just being printed on newsprint you can just you just pick it up with your echo you you know you, it's out once a month it's something to look forward to for people and it kind of fitted the sort of era I think um, and it was only really when people started getting out of the habit of going physically going to a shop to buy it um, that the sales kind of dropped in the last couple of years and even people I know friends who are no kind of when it was announced that it was closing down it was going to be the end of it after 20 years said you know I don't know why I, I stopped reading I liked it I just got out of the habit of going mm-hmm. picking it up um, and, and that's, a, that's a problem with all industries you know as we all know um, so it, it was a shame that it went and you know in terms of legacy I, I like to think that a bit of the bit of the human a bit of the style and a bit of the way represented the fans is kind of reflected a little bit now in some of the more modern equivalents of what you what would have been print media back in the day in terms of podcasts and, and websites and like still writing about Liverpool obviously for Reach Sports and LFC's monthly magazine and the programme but you're also doing a bit for This Is Anfield as well it, it must be a great time to write about the, the club you support given the fact what, what's to come and what's what's been happening on the club these last few years but particularly these last two seasons it couldn't be better really could it I mean you know we're, we're, we're writing about a team at the moment who are the top of the Premier League I mean lost one game and drawn one game while being European champions and world champions for that matter so that's, that's unparalleled in terms of since I've been working as a journalist covering Liverpool and you, you kind of at the moment get a bit surprised when they don't win 
Um, you know, actually going out of the Champions League for Atletico was, was obviously a blow, but because we're doing so well in the league, it, it didn't maybe feel as bad as it could have done. And it, it was it was the same last season when we lost the league. You know, to get ninety seven points, and when I say lost the league, we we didn't win the league, we didn't we didn't really lose and such. But to get ninety seven points and not end up as champion normally, you'd be devastated about it for years. But you know, a week and a half later, whatever it was, we're winning the. Champions League in Madrid, and then we're starting the next season like a house on fire, and then we're we're winning the Super Cup, and then we're winning the we're winning in Qatar, we're winning the FIFA Club World Cup, and then twenty five points clear. So it kind of it, you know what would have been a major disappointment. Um, it would have felt worse than not not winning the league when when Brendan Rodgers was here. Really, if, if this season had been poor, that's kind of gone, and it, it's it's almost like we you know the roller coaster's not coming back down. We've we've kind of still on the way up and still on course for winning this, you know, first title for, for 30 years. And when you've got a team like that to write about and you've got success and you've got a charismatic manager and, you know, some of the, the best players we've had in a, in a long, long time, then, yeah, I mean, you know, what's not to love about writing about a successful Liverpool and, a, a you know, a team and a club that's got the potential to be even more successful and sustain it now, whereas... In the past, we'd have one-off title challenges and then nothing the year after. Now it feels like we're at the start of a, a near and potentially, if, you know, if we're lucky and things go well, a dynasty. Yeah, you've obviously got the Palace programme boxed off. There's three more home games to come after this and without giving too much away, I imagine Reach Sports have got a lot of special stuff planned as when and after Liverpool win the league. Yeah, we've we've already been working on um, some special stuff throughout the season. Um, other stuff with the club that we can't really talk about at the moment, but there, there will be there will be stuff out there. Um, what I would say in the meantime is if you know if people have bought the the fifteen programs already this season, then don't don't miss the final four because I mean even if I wasn't writing it, I I used to be a program buying fan myself, and I was just going to the matches. Uh, as a supporter, as a season ticket holder, and I would want this full collection because um, it, it, you know, it is a historic season for winning the league. It's a historic season for the for what's happened with the, the, you know, the suspension and the break due to COVID nineteen. But it's it's a season that's always going to be looked back on for decades to come as one of the greatest in the, the history of Liverpool Football Club in terms of what they've achieved on the pitch, but also the way that they've achieved it because of the unbeaten runs and the sheer number of games they've won um, and to, to have a, a memory of that that even if you can't attend those final four games and it is heartbreaking that we can't be there to see Liverpool in the league and see Jordan Anderson lift the, the trophy against Chelsea but at least that's some kind of memento that you could have a, a keepsake um, to hopefully make you feel a little bit closer to being there even if it isn't quite the same it's just again reminded to anyone who wants to get a hands on the Crystal Palace programme or any of the programmes from the final three home games in Anfield do head to the reachsportshop.com but just on a, a final question Chris took enough time already yeah. mate you, you, you've spoken to people like Jordan Henders you spoke to players over the years you've talked about the, that this could be like a, a dynasty really this could be the start of something and do you think the fact that you know these players are so uh close to the, the supporters they get what it means they've seen the scenes after Madrid last year do you think it'll make him doubly determined next season to actually do it all again and, and this time have the fans in Anfield for, the, for that trophy lift or more trophy lifts I genuinely do and, and one of the big reasons I, I think that is because of the way that 
they, they got 97 points last season and it wasn't enough. Um, you know, Jürgen Klopp said to them in pre-season, you need to do more. It's not good enough. 97 points isn't good enough. <laughs> you, you can't you can't be going into next season thinking, well, we'll try and get that again. I know you need more. You've, you've got to wait for higher. And that mentality is right through that club. I mean, we saw it a year earlier where you lose the, you lose the Champions League final to Real Madrid. The, the manager's already lost a, a Europa League final. That Real Madrid game, you know, the players come off that pitch and thought, right, we've had a taste of this. We got beaten. They were probably unlucky to get beaten due to the injury to Mo and to dodgy goalkeeping performance, <laughs> shall we say. Um, but I think because of the way the way they lost that final and having had such a good run to get to it, they felt, hang on, we, we could have won this. We, we could do this again. Let's put this right. Let's have a go again. Let's believe in what we can do ourselves. Let's, you know, take what, what we've learned from reaching the Champions League final and losing and try and win it again. And they did. Um, we, we've seen the same in the league, 97 points, not enough. Well, we'll go one better next season and they're going to go one better. So therefore, when, when you've got that in your squad and that's clearly coming from the manager and the staff, it's clearly something the players believe in and the fans believe in it too. I, I, I think the connection's probably as strong between players and, and supporters of Liverpool Football Club as it has been since uh, the Hillsborough disaster when players would were going to funerals and the manager went to as many funerals as he could and there was there was a unique bond at that time between that team and you know the, the way in 1989 Liverpool lost the league with the last kick of the season still still the most heartbreaking game probably in my lifetime as, as a Liverpool supporter but what did he do the year after won the league, league. Yeah. he responded by winning the league and I, I see that now in this squad of players and this manager that He's a charismatic manager. He's a personal manager. He's a, he's a man the fans believe in. But his players reflect him on the pitch. They play the way he wants them to. They reflect him off the pitch in the way they are as people and as human beings and, and, and all that side of things. And I, I think the bond's there again. And, you know, you, you don't get nights like Dortmund or Barcelona and, and comebacks like that. You know, we've seen things on a regular basis like that without the connection being there and, and that's why it will be so important to all be back inside the ground next season hopefully as, as soon as possible because one of our biggest strengths is our unity and we, we need that next season to you know achieve more of what we've achieved in the last two years Most definitely perfect way to end Chris thanks very much for your time mate enjoy the rest of the season as a fan I'm sure you'd be very busy as a journalist but uh, yeah it's, it's been, been great to have you on mate on the podcast Pleasure, Paul. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.